guitar people. Welcome to Have Guitar Will Travel, presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine. With your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies. And today I'm speaking with guitarist extraordinaire Eddie Paris. Eddie's played with a variety of bands and singers, most notably currently the Mavericks, and before that, Dwight Yoakam. In our conversation, we cover what the Mavericks have been up to during COVID and their internet TV show. Eddie talks about his grammatical amp, which unfortunately had some water damage just before our conversation. And Eddie talks about where he grew up near Pasadena, east of L.A., and being a pharmacy tech and the role his father played in his love of music. Eddie talks about his early music experiences with his family and his early influences. He talks about playing with James Infield and his circle of friends early on and the confidence James gave him early on to be the guitarist he is now. Then Eddie talks about moving to Austin, struggling finding work as a guitarist, and then getting a call to be the guitarist for Gary Allen and eventually moving to Nashville long before the big migration to Nashville. He talks about playing with artists such as Winona, Connie Smith, Leanne Womack, and others and his philosophy behind playing with these artists. He talks about maintaining a relationship with his wife and son while on a full tour schedule. Eddie talks about his Nash Telecaster that is the main guitar lately and Eddie talks about the rest of his gear. He talks about playing and getting the gig with Dwight and how he felt he manifested that gig. You can find out more about Eddie and the Mavericks at themaverick'sband.com. That's T H E M E V E R I C K S B A N D Dot com. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Eddie. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to see you as well. What hey, you? I see you all the time, though, on the Instagram. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, these guys are telling me, and I, I you know. I, that I should post more. Really? That's what they say, you know, but to tell you the truth, man, I, you know, I'm too analog for a lot of that shit. Oh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm kind of stuck in my ways at this point, but, you know, I, I, I do understand the significance that the role that social media plays on a musician's career, sure. certainly, let alone an entertainer too, you know, so I, you know, it's kind of a necessary sort of thing, you know, Absolutely. but, but, you know, my spirit's more kind of, you know, I think mistakes a good thing in, in the music. Oh business, yeah, you know that's what Led Zeppelin was all about. Yeah, you and know Elvis and all that. It's, yeah, it's all the stuff that we love. Yeah. You know, but all those. It's, I think it's a big part of why we we think it, it was cool too. It's because you know, I think a little bit of elusiveness is a good thing. You know, it's nice to be back here uh, out uh, playing shows again. Yeah. You when know? did you guys start playing? Like well, we started kind of inching towards it, you know. We started doing these series of these unplugged, uh, kind of esque, you know, acoustic guitars, sort of, you know, yeah. two hour shows where we like sit down and we we were having the audience distanced at the time. Okay, and, you know, trying to just be safe, but try, also trying to figure out how to get back to our livelihood. Yeah, I mean, for us, the touring business is our sole, you know, our our main thing. Oh you yeah. Know? yeah. And so to be without that for, you know, God, a year and a half now without all this, you know, with this pandemic stuff um, was a bit of a challenge yeah. for us. That's not to say that we weren't busy, though, because, uh-huh. you know, you, we had to figure out how to stay busy, yeah. you know, yeah. no funds really coming in and kind of like, you know, in the middle of all of the that going on, we somehow found a way to <laughs> take whatever money as a business we had uh, had got you know, from the previous touring gear and just kind of invested it back in ourselves. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we, we ended up releasing a record yeah. uh, during the pandemic that went number one on 
Billboard Latin pop chart. It's hilarious. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, that was a, a, an anomaly. It, at least it felt like for us, you know, yeah. Latin record. Our first Latin record does that. Yeah. So we got we found the time to do that, and we also found the time to get together and film, you know, this little series that uh, we called the Mavericks Show. Uh huh. And so, you know, with the help of a bunch of uh, you know young filmmakers and whatnot, we uh, we managed to be quite busy. Uh, and safely too, yeah. I say proudly. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, just we just tried to stay busy. Where do you Where do you find the Maverick show? Where would, Where's that? Uh, you can. It streams on a service called Nugs TV. Okay. Nugs TV. Yeah, it's a streaming service, and you you find all the biggest. There's a lot of big bands on there. A lot of jam bands are on there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, concerts and and. Uh, whether there's a lot of live concerts, uh, you know, video concerts, and then okay. there's like a lot of, uh, you know, like almost like the board tapes, yeah, you know, and that's kind of we we got fortunately hooked up with them the previous year uh, and developed a relationship with them, and so when the pandemic hit, this kind of just all made sense, yeah, and timing was everything, yeah. So we we were really grateful to have them as a as a you know uh, as a, a a partner in all of this stuff too. So that's where you can find that, oh, yeah. Yeah, and so the the touring went went just about like what kind of venues were you playing? Which well, we started off just playing honestly the usual uh, spots that we do across the country. We first started at uh, in Austin's uh, ACL Theater, Moody Theater, where they film Austin City sure. Limits. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it was big enough to have one of these types of events, you uh-huh. know. Uh, again, you know, we did three nights there. They were all sit. We were on stage sitting down. Okay. Acoustic guitars. You know, we tried to keep. You know, the Mavericks music. You can't help but get up. And oh, just, exactly. You, you know, it, it's kind of hard not to. Yeah. And we found that even in that setting, whether it was we were trying to distance people and sitting down and just. Yeah. yeah. The music dictates what's happening. Everybody wants you know? to dance. And so it's still. And we were at. You know, we were feeling a bit like, well, should we keep doing this? Or you know, but um, but everybody. You know, everybody that follows us, I mean, fortunately, has kind of been on board with this idea of, you know, this Mavericks thing that we do together uh, is a very inclusive thing, energy-wise. Sure. Uh, And so to be there, I think we all need to be there and we all need to be smart and be uh, safe and and try to help each other. Yeah. And I think that we have that kind of fanship, you know what I mean? I mean, we, we seem to. It's all... From all walks of life and all ages. And, oh, yeah. But we seem to have that thing, and so it's a very inclusive thing. You yeah. know what I mean? So luckily we were able to keep doing, you know, a series of show one month, a series uh, of shows the next. And then that led up to uh, things getting a little bit better with the vaccine coming along yeah. and then people getting on board with that. And then we were able to keep going. And so luckily we've been able to just kind of inch back to some kind of normal yeah. uh, existence for us. I mean... We are certainly trying to, as a business, excavate ourselves from that deep, you know, financial hole of of not being able to get at it. Yeah, exactly. You know, but so we've we've tried to, like again, tried to take every precaution we can ourselves to to be smart, to do it safely, yeah. not just for everybody in the audience and everybody that's working at the venues, but also for ourselves. For sure. I mean, we employ a lot of people to yeah. run this big crazy circus of ours yeah. and above all we we wanted to we had a need to want to be responsible yeah. you know and to, to set set the example that's yeah. the only way forward we felt of course so um but thank goodness we've been able to do it man and uh keep going at it and tonight you know we're uh second night in napa yeah. california at the uh, uh, uptown theater and uh 
So, yeah, it's always nice to be here, you know? Yeah. It's just a never-ending journey that's filled with all of those sorts of things, too. Sure. You know? Yeah. Cars need brake jobs every now and then, and, you know... Sometimes you hit that pothole, <laughs> and there goes that tire. Well, that's one of these moments for me. So, well, what am I going to do? You know. <laughs> the so, tell me about the grammatical amps since we're there right now. Well, he's such a great guy. I got to know him recently, uh, and it was one of those things. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Texas blues guitar player Anson Funderburg. You know what amazing player he is, and uh, I have so so much respect for him and his artistry and just his journey too you know but he introduced me he said I got this friend named John Grammatico and he builds these amplifiers and he says I think that you and him would hit it off but I think more importantly I think that he would know how to build you what you might be looking for you know and so you know how guitar players are man it's the it's the never ending quest sure for the tone yes (laughs) and that's movable yeah oh yeah you know and my and my and my adventure it certainly has been movable because I've played with so many different types of artists and so many different people you know yeah. your requirement is something different a lot of the time you know uh, but anyway so uh, you know he hooked Anson hooked me up with the, uh, John Romanico excuse me and he he had moved from recently he had moved from Austin to Nashville okay and so Anson said hey my buddy's finally living in Nashville and you should go down and spend an afternoon with him and and see if you guys jive and gel together and maybe you can talk about building something or whatnot or you never know uh-huh. and so yeah and so I sat down with John and we got to know each other we talked about you know music but most of all talked about his big thing is materials you know he did he's one of those like doctors man he researched he's got an engineering degree and so he researched I'm talking wire I'm talking oh, wow. the 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 rubber plastic that goes around the wire. I'm uh, talking, where did it come from? Where did, wow. what did Leo Fender use? What did, you know, yeah. and, and where is it? Is there any more of that stuff made? If yeah. it, you know, he's one of those guys. Okay. Okay. So we sat down and, and, you know, a lot of the stuff was clearly over my head, man. Yeah. A lot of the times I plug in, I, I get a tone and I just go for it. Sure. Um, but that's, you know, that's my approach. Yeah. yeah. But, but he was able to to take what I was trying to articulate in terms of, uh, you know, sonics, how it relates to what my requirements are, what I would like to hear. Yeah. Uh, and somehow he, we got together and and, uh, and uh, I basically said, listen, man, I, I, I'd like to commission you to, to see, you know, and I mean, you know, the last thing I needed was another amplifier. Believe me, <laughs> over all those years, I've got so many things. I got to get rid of stuff. But... Uh, but so you know, and he and so he so he found it a bit of a challenge, and, and uh, you know, so we talked about it, and and uh, then about like a couple months later, uh, he called me and says, "Hey, your amp's done. Come and check it out. I think okay. it's good." And so, uh, but before I had a chance to take it out, he took it to the NAMM show uh, that was in uh, Nashville in June, okay. back in June, and he said everybody played through it. It was like a hit. Everybody wanted it. Oh, wow. You know, and so, and I think he's only made two of them. Wow. But, uh, yeah, you can take a look at it. It's pretty cool. It's like he's got his own style of doing things, you uh-huh. know, and it's it looks uh, it's so nondescript. It reminds me of those amplifiers that Scotty Moore played oh, in yeah. the 50s. How they just looked like a box. Yeah, yeah. There was like no writing or anything on it. It's like, what the hell is that, you know? <laughs> uh, there's something about that that I've, I've felt kind of like 
I thought that was kind of cool, you know. Uh, absolutely. But that's that's how I got to know John, and so um, clearly I have to have another one made <laughs> since there isn't a backup. <laughs> I need one tonight. So. Oh well. Um, that, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I was born in LA. Okay. Um, and um, but if I can say where I grew up, I would have to say I grew up in a, in a town that's about thirty minutes east of Los Angeles called La Puente. Okay, and it's by West Covina, oh, sure. Azusa, and it's kind of in that area. Uh-huh. And uh, that's really where I grew up most of most of my childhood and teenage years. And and uh, you know, of course, then you know, get out of school and I moved around. You know, lived yeah. in Pasadena, got married way too young. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but and at that time, you know, uh, I I was. <laughs> People find this hard to believe, but I was a, a licensed and registered pharmacy technician. Oh, wow. I wasn't playing music at uh-huh. that time. I was, you know, trying to trying to live to that thing that I thought I was supposed to do, sure. you know, because that's what you see. You, you know, it really is true what people say about if you can't see it, it's hard for you to be it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I come from that. I don't come from a family of, you know, people that are in the entertainment business. I mean, I'm... In my family, I'm such a misfit. Like, I'm the only one that does anything like this. You know what I mean? So, um, so but growing up there, uh, my, uh, the thing that was my biggest uh, savior of all was, if it was my father was such a big music fan. Okay. And that's where, you know, my way of connecting with my father came through the music. Sure. You know, and, and I loved him so much, and I wanted to, you know, like any boy would want to connect with him and yeah. I fe- when I found that I had a, a, a bit of a natural talent for it because I'm self-taught uh-huh. I just I just picked it up and naturally it always kind of felt like I knew what I was doing yeah e- even as a little kid like in, in a couple of weeks I was already playing all kinds of stuff oh, wow. it was weird yeah. you know what what kind of music was your dad listening to oh man everything my dad was a rocker oh know? really I mean ZZ Top oh <laughs> the Eagles um Zeppelin Ozzy Um, but he was also equally as much into Frank Sinatra and James Brown Mm -hmm. and you know like Tom Jones and like you know everything Uh, Mexican music I get that through my family sure Um, so it's interesting because the Mavericks music and how I approach that thing that space that is there now uh-huh. has been a space for me to kind of put all of that into that one space, and sure. that's I feel what I bring to the Mavericks. Yeah, um, but it's every everything from you know fifties Chuck Berry rock and roll to Julio Iglesias in the eighties to uh-huh. like you know it's it's all of it, and uh, in some form or fashion, over all the many years that I've been doing this. Uh, I've played lots of gigs in those kinds of settings all over the place. So, you know, to play in a band like the Mavericks, I think it takes a, you have to have a bit of a vocabulary. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, because Raul has quite a vocabulary. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And he can bust anything out at any moment. We don't, a lot of times, some, you know, he'll throw something out there that that, uh, he just assumes we know, (laughs) you know? And a lot of the times it's just hold on, you know? But, um, but yeah. uh, Growing up in La Puente, in that uh, Mexican American family, hardworking, blue collar, you know, uh-huh. 
good people. Uh, we were always together as a family. Sure. And whenever the recreation was family time, it was always like also music time oh, too yeah, somehow, you know? Yeah. The beers would come out and the barbecue would happening and then uh, and then the adults would be inside and the guitars would come out and uh-huh. my grandfather and, and all my uncles I mean not that they were great musicians but they knew a few chords but right. it did but it didn't matter you know well that's wh- where my first fascination with it was you know and it's funny because I recently understood this um, when I look back at all that. What's what I what I hold dear and fond about those moments in my young life? I'm talking about eight, nine years old. Uh-huh. Was for those brief moments, there was a sense that I got of security and camaraderie and just feeling good to be with human beings, other people. Uh-huh. As a kid, I kind of I felt that. As an adult, I could articulate it. Sure. And that it's that thing that is to me the most special thing about what my experience is with the Mavericks because it feels an awful lot like that yeah sometimes some of us have a little too much and then you know we go a little too far (laughs) you know but isn't that most people no matter what it is oh yeah of course of course no matter if it's money or if it's anything else uh, you know you go a little too far you get a little too away from it sure Uh, and then you know you can't expect something great to happen no (laughs) you know that's not realistic (laughs) you know what I mean that, but well, uh, but I feel like I've learned a lot over the years, uh, oh, all my experiences, yeah, and so I, I get a chance to bring that yeah. to the Mavericks, you know. Absolutely. When What was your first band experience? My first band experience, I was probably 13 years old, and uh, at this time I was all into Randy Rhodes. Oh, wow, okay. And I was into... Uh, God, all the guys of the day. I was into, you know, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, of course. Sure. I mean, George Lynch. I, I wept a little the day that we lost Eddie Van Halen, you know, and I never met him. and I, But he was such a giant oh, yeah. uh, in so many ways, you know, all his innovations and all oh, that. Yeah. I mean, just, it, you know, the modern day Les Paul of sorts. Certainly, certainly. Right? Yeah. I mean, is there anybody else that's done that? No. Because he was hands-on. He was a tinker. Oh, he, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. He invented that, literally. Yeah. So, you know, it was big, monumental loss. You yep, know? absolutely. But, um... What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> about your first, first gig. First gig. So, anyway, my first gig, you know, I was 13 years old. I was all in day, you know, Randy Rhodes and, and, and Eddie Van Halen and all that kind of stuff of, and, and the shredders of that day. Uh, and, uh... I've, I've met some neighborhood kids that had just moved into town and they were my buddies uh, and they were into rock music like I was too and okay. the more I got to know them the more I realized they were kind of musical too and so let's see I was 13 one of my buddies was 15 and his brother was my age 13 and then my brother my brother Steve was like 11 and he was playing the drums. Oh wow! And so, <laughs> so we had a repertoire of maybe ten songs. Right you know on. what I mean? Yeah. And one of our buddies got asked by the dad if we would go and play a party for them, their barbecue. Oh wow! His dad had like a biker gang. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and these guys were the real deal. Yeah. It was a biker gang. Yeah. So, so his dad comes and picks us up in this van, and we go to this gig, and we set up, and we're like, yeah, we're like teenagers. And we're playing all this rock music, Sabbath, and all, you oh, know. Oh, my goodness. 
and that was my first gig where I actually got paid some money to play music yeah. for people. Right on. And so, it was, yeah, thirteen. What were you but playing? Uh, I had some Sears Les Paul. Oh, really? Oh that, my goodness! They weighed a ton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had this like Roland. A Boss amplifier, sure. solid state amplifier that had like when you when you uh, pulled out a knob, it had like a crunch factor. Yeah, of course. And then at the time, I had learned about distortion, uh, and I had bought myself one of those old MXR distortion plus. Yeah, of course. With the two, not the yellow, with the two yeah, knobs. Yeah, of course. And that's what I had, and I just <laughs> turned the shit up. <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything, but I gotta say, you know, I have there's cassettes out there of. Uh, you know, boombox recording cassettes and yeah. was playing. Yeah. Uh, and when I listened back for that age, man, we were pretty damn good for kids. <laughs> we were kids, yeah. you know? Uh, but you could, I mean, you could totally tell the songs. I mean, the songs were the songs. Yeah. The solos and all, you know. But um, Were you singing or was somebody else singing? No, I was just playing guitar at that time. <laughs> you know, I, the singing stuff didn't happen until... Uh, the, the next real band that I was actually really gigging with and on the weekends, uh, I was like 15, 16 years old, and I was like in this top 40 band. So it went from that, like rock music, to playing in a band and to being in, you know, being that age, you're so influential. You know, I was in a band with older people, older yeah. guys. Oh, of course. They were like 21, 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was influenced by that. And so we were doing top 40 music, and all of a sudden I was getting paid money on the weekends to play these top 40 gigs at like swap meets and like somebody's wedding and yeah, like yeah. some kind of cultural center and so you know those kinds of things yeah. you know uh, and that was that started when I was like 15 or 16 or so and then uh, and then so I kept playing you know up until the time then I hit a little bit of a roadblock in a sense of took kind of a left turn and and kind of stopped playing music for a while and told you got married and yeah. went through uh a lot of hardship uh, with that uh, relationship. Uh, you know, far too young in my life to to yeah. even, you know, young people though. You know what I mean? Uh, so I stopped playing music for in guitar. Period. I mean, I put it away. Absolutely put it away. Didn't uh. pick up anything for a good number of like five or six years. Wow. Um, and then when all that fell apart, uh, I needed. I felt like I needed a, a something to just like get out of that funk of going through something like that you know as yep. a young person you know and so I got myself slowly back into guitar playing and I started kind of getting some chops built up and and then I started uh, I started getting a little bit more confidence in my 20s to kind of start going out and start trying to go to the clubs and see who's doing what and yeah. like just being closer to it and and early on somehow uh, I met the all the right people wow. somehow uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But in the L.A. scene at that time, in the 90s, early 90s, mm -hmm. that was kind of easy to do. Because in L.A., there was all these, not just the big clubs that everybody knows, Gazzari's or, or you know, the Rainbow or whatever. Is, yeah. There were all these little smaller ones, too. Mm -hmm. And the scene that I happened to be in was more kind of in the, like, the, the, the rockabilly sort of blues sort of jump swing you know, scenesters. Uh-huh. What what bands were you seeing you know? about that time? Oh man, Royal Crown Review. Oh of course. when they were first hitting it? Yeah. Ninety one, ninety two. Uh-huh. Um I'm talking way before Big Bad Voodoo Day. Yeah, I'm talking course. these yeah. guys were the guys, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um Big Sandy, Fly oh, yeah. Right Boys. Yeah. 
You know, uh, I myself was playing with James Infeld. You know, oh, really? he was one of the the, yeah. the kings of that whole scene. Uh, yeah. The Paladins, Dave okay. Gonzalez and the Paladins. Uh-huh. You know, uh, but I was also seeing the blues guys like James Harmon and Rod Piazza. Always had these great guitar players like uh, uh, Alex Schultz mm-hmm. on guitar. You ever hear his guitar playing? I don't know. God, he's like a bop jazz guy, but like blue. It it's it's the deal, <laughs> man. You know. Um, and so at that time, there was all these v- venues that you can go and play on that kind of level, you know? And, there was, the a, and there was a scene, you know? There was uh, the Carousel. There was the Doll Hut in Anaheim. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, there was Jack Sugar Shack in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. There was, you know, I mean, the Dixie Bell in Downey. <laughs> there were a lot. Abilene Rose out in Huntington Beach area. There was the Blue Cafe in Long Beach. Okay. <laughs> right That's on. where I come from. That yeah. whole scene of that whole thing. Yeah. And early on, I got to know a lot of friends. And my, I mentioned earlier my good friend who just had a birthday recently, but James Infield uh-huh. uh, was the first guy that actually actually gave me the belief that that I could actually because at this time I was still working a job. See, uh-huh. so man, I was working forty hours a week playing three, four nights a week, getting like two hours of sleep a night. Wow. I was sleeping, taking breaks at my job, going into the restroom, <laughs> sleeping and like, but you know, whatever it took to keep going. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I finally got to a point where my buddy James told me, he says, Hey man, he says, um, he says, if, if you're, if you're a fan of music, he says, I think that's a great thing. He says, but if you're going to be the guy, be the player, yeah. he says, you you kind of have to dedicate yourself to it. You, you, you got to serve just one thing, yeah. you know? And he says, and he says, why shouldn't it be you playing with whoever? Why, why not you? What? Because, and really because, you know, growing up as a Latino, um, you do experience a lot of uh, certain doors. You have to work harder to get open. Sure. Yeah. And nowhere in there is that a political thing. It's just a reality. Oh, yeah. I Absolutely. think I know this. I've lived this. <laughs> so uh, you have to work harder. And one thing I've always done is I've always worked hard at it. Um, I've, always, I've always just wanted to just have the opportunity because I've always felt confident in my work ethic. Sure. Sure. And it's a big part, I feel, of why I've been able to have all these amazing gigs over the years and all the experiences and this crazy life this troubadour life in music you know and yeah. it's uh, uh, work ethic and but but you also have to have your eyes open and, yeah. and, and uh, but a big the, the biggest pivotal person in my life that helped me to see that uh, was James Infeld and uh-huh. he gave me that confidence to start looking at my own journey and taking it seriously in that kind of way and and thinking that you know it's not such a mammoth you can do it yeah. but you know you know you know and so but it was through James is how I met just about everybody else that I know now that I can trace to uh-huh. my first time touring uh, as a musician like full time was with James Infeld we, we would go to Europe and do these festivals rockabilly festivals wow. we would go to Finland and we would go you know and so yeah. I'm talking 1995 wow. 96 so you know <laughs> up until the pandemic I've been on the road since then Wow. I'm nonstop with wow. somebody somewhere. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, but that, and that's how I started my journey, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, 
ground up. Was that when you quit your job? Well, after about a year of of gigging like three or four nights a week with James and then doing 40 hours a week, I I finally had an accident coming home from a gig one night. I I wrecked my car into a telephone pole because I I fell asleep at the wheel. But it was after that happened that he had that talk with me about, you know, hey, what are you going to do here? You can't, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then it was at that moment that I dedicated myself to trying to figure out, you know, if I don't try this, I don't know if I'll ever know if I can. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be one of those. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to do that. So just put your best foot forward and go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect journey by any means. I've learned that over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just a journey. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and what? So what did you do after James, after playing with James? So after James, you know, we st- with James, we st- I, I started touring with him all over the place. You know, we would do tours across across the states, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, sometimes it would just be trio, you know, bass, lead guitar, and him on acoustic. And uh-huh. we do, you know, we'd, for a trio, we'd kind of do a little Johnny Cash rocked up sort of thing. Sure. It was great. And it was cool. Uh, uh, but then we started playing across the country and we started bumping into all these other musicians and I started making friendships and started getting to know people. My world at that time started really opening up, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and then, uh, first time, uh, I went, uh, on tour with James, we went to, uh, one of the first times it was like 96 or so, uh, we swung through Nashville mm-hmm. and this first time I was in Nashville is when I met a good friend of ours who's James's longtime friend who used to play drums for Junior Brown, a guy named Tom Lewis. Okay. He was in a band back in the 90s called the Wagoneers. Okay. Yeah. So James and Tom were really good friends. Well, Tom was living in Nashville, and we go there, and he comes to our gig, and me and Tom start talking, and we hit it just off, like, instantly. Uh-huh. Now, anybody knows Tom Lewis knows Tom Lewis knows everybody. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Tom's one of those guys. He's He just knows everybody. And so it's Tom Lewis who introduced me to Raul and all these guys in the Mavericks. Oh, okay. And it's how I got to know Raul, like, as a friend. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's how I got to know how I met my wife. Okay. Tom Lewis. I can date everything to Tom Lewis. So <laughs> early on, I met a lot of these people that kind of, you know. Uh, but, you know, I always knew that at some point, you know, you, you have to be present to win. You have to be closer to whatever it is you're trying to be part of. Sure. You know? And so, uh, uh, around ninety, uh, around ninety-eight, I realized that I probably had to be closer to where the source was. I wanted to learn more about country music and mm-hmm. about, you know, playing gigs. And at that time, in ninety-eight, in California, at least in Southern California, a lot there was a lot of financial stuff happening, and a lot of clubs and venues started closing up. Oh yeah. So the opportunities started going away. Yeah. So then all of a sudden there was no place to play, and and so. My buddy Tom, who had who I'd met in Nashville a couple of years before, moved back to Austin, Texas. Okay, and was already gigging and had a network already set up for himself. He invited me to come just check it out for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. I ended up staying for a month. Right? <laughs> I went back home. I packed up my van, whatever I could, uh-huh. and I moved to Austin, Texas. <laughs> and I got closer to the source. Yeah. And there, I just gigged with whoever I could gig. Uh-huh. Some great players. Some like. You know, intimidatingly great players. Sure. Uh, some people clearly know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. But, and everything in between. As much as I could play, I tried to play. Yeah. It was a bit hard to make a living there, um, you know, when you're playing for a tip jar and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, 
And then at the, about after about three years or so, uh, I felt like I was really getting nowhere with it. I felt like there was no opportunities above, beyond just doing that, you know. Uh-huh. And my ambition was always greater. And I felt like, well, if this is it, man, I can't keep doing this. You know, I got to maybe I'm going to go back home and maybe I'll yeah. get back into pharmacy again. And I, and I swear it was that very week that I got a phone call from manager who manages Gary Allen. Uh-huh. Wanting to hire me, they're on a break, and they were on the Brooks and Dunn Neon Circus. Oh my goodness! So I went from, you know, playing, you know, giving, thinking I was going to give up playing music, <laughs> selling all my shit, yeah. to like the next week I'm in rehearsals, you know, getting ready to jump on a tour bus, go play for you know these twenty five thousand seat arenas with Damn. Brooks and Dunn yeah. and the big old Neon Circus tour. Dwight was on that tour. Uh huh. Um, and there I am, you know, from instead of the tip jar. Now I'm making, you know, crazy money traveling a tour bus and, you know, partying with Ronnie Dunn and drinking way too much. <laughs> you know? And living that. Yeah. And, um, and I lived f- in that brief time. I still had all my stuff in, in Austin because we were working so much with Gary. Yeah. So I finally, at the end of the year, when, when the touring stopped, I went back to Austin. I packed my van, whatever I had, and I moved to Nashville. Okay. Because uh, Gary's business was based out of Nashville. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of like I've had some big signs that have led me to the obvious, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's been all blind faith yeah. and uh you know, of course, mo- moving to Nashville, then that, you know, talk about being close to the source, country music and the country music business. Uh, uh, the difference between Nashville and Austin was that there's a, the, the business of country music sure, of course. is in Nashville. Yeah. And you were probably, what, like 10 years ahead of the big migration, when the big migration yes, to Nashville this started. this is 2000, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> See? So I'm ahead of it. So at this point, I've been, I've been in Nashville now 20 years. Yeah. You know, and uh, but uh, in all of that, you know, playing with Gary Allen and, and being in the circle of musicians there in Nashville that was in, t- or at least I, I guess I was kind of seen as one of the fringe kind of cooler guys. I guess I don't know. I guess that's why some of these guys would call me. Uh-huh. So I ended up. I started up. Ended up playing a lot of gigs with Jim Lauderdale. Uh-huh. Uh, played some gigs with Kim Ritchie, singer songwriter. Yeah. I went out on the road for quite a bit with uh, country legend Connie Smith. Oh, of course. You Marty know, Stewart's her and Marty, wife. yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've, God, I mean, it goes on and on. I've played lots of gigs with Leanne Womack. Uh-huh. Um, I played with Winona Judd for quite a bit. Yeah. Um, when she was getting that uh, big noise um, thing together, yeah. her, and, her and Cactus, her husband, um, wonderful people. Um, and then, you know, there's that seven years with Dwight, too, you know. There's Raul and all the solo stuff that I've done with him. And so it's been, I feel so, people always make the comment out there when they talk to me or when they have had a moment with me about how, oh, Eddie's so nice and he's just that. Well, uh, I've always been this way, but for me, I feel so fortunate and, you know, I don't want to use the word blessed because people use that so often, but I do feel that way. I feel like uh, it hasn't been easy. It's been a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and, you know, a lot of just making mistakes and just trying to not lose yourself in all of it. But uh, I've always seen it as a privilege, though. I've always said to myself, if I get to do this for a living, uh, I'm going to treat it uh, with respect. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because for every person like me that gets to do this, 
there's you know hundreds of thousands more out there that just hoping wish. for a break to yeah, do something like that and I've kind of lived it yeah. you know what I mean yeah uh, and continue to live it with <laughs> these guys <laughs> but uh, but it's a different thing now because after all these years I feel all of that experience does give you a confidence it gives you a command it gives you uh, a centeredness uh, of the moment and uh, the Maverick certainly provides that for me there's a space there that I get to you know and this is just how I feel this is how I approach what I do I I, by no means do I think everybody does it the same way I know that they don't but for me I I have to be really connected to what it is I'm doing yeah you know I I, because of the way I approach doing what I do sure it's all in it's all invested yeah you know the uh how how hard is it to maintain your relationship with your wife being on the road all the time um these days i will tell you that i really can honestly say how grateful i am to her for putting up with this crazy <laughs> shit all these years <laughs> and uh, because it's challenging man you know i mean it's uh you know, you can see how certain bands break up or how certain musicians just lose their gusto for it. You know, you start getting kids involved and, mm-hmm. and life steps in and you get older and, and uh, you know, those things change how difficult it is to do this, sure. you know. Today, I woke up this morning uh, and I was missing my son, like really like missing my son and just the gloomy, it was kind of, you know, overcast and gloomy today <laughs> and I was feeling kind of like, man, you know how long have you been doing this, Eddie? You know what I mean? How long do you want to continue to do this? You know? Um, But I feel fortunate that I have somebody in my life that not only is mature enough and strong enough and independent enough in her own life. She has her own thriving career right now as a film director. You know, she just... Uh, she just directed her first feature film for Sony Pictures. Uh, she's getting ready to sign another one for another picture she's going to do that's her screenplay. Uh, so she's not only that, she's the most awarded and most nominated video director in all of country music history. Oh, really? History. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it helps to have a person that's in the business t- that understands how the business is. Sure. But, you know, as in all things, you know, there are things that dad has to do, too. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have to hold my end of the deal up. Yeah, absolutely. And in this lifestyle, it can be challenging. It can be difficult. I mean, I'm not telling you probably something you don't already know. You know how it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but that's just this business. It attracts that. It's attractive to people. Uh, it's not necessarily the people that people are attracted to as much as it is the notion of what they think that oh are. yeah exactly the it's ideal the facade of it it's yeah. the, and although those are very real things and parts of my personality that you know people always say oh who dresses you guys and who does you know like that's that's an extension I mean, that's all me I yeah, mean I find stuff everywhere I go yeah. you know but I've always been into that too you know uh-huh. some most my most favorite bands were all in that whole 70s you know mid 70s glam era you know that you know I, I, I love all that stuff oh, yeah, you know? but I loved all that Frank Sinatra Rat Pack crisp oh, yeah. crisp you know sharkskin suits and the cufflinks and the, I love what that represents you know but to me one of the other beauties of the Mavericks is that uh, it's I've always felt like it's a moving art piece from mm-hmm. like one record to the next sure 
And certainly in this last era, the last 10 years that the Mavericks have been back again, uh -huh. um, not only have we been prolific with the records, I mean, we have, we've done seven records in the last nine years. Wow. That's... That's great. On top of, you know, 100 plus shows a year yeah. consistently, you know, up yeah. until, of course, pandemic. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's a lot of work, yeah. you know. And so that has been challenging in terms of family life. But I will tell you that uh, sometimes, you know, we, we bring our loved ones on board. Sometimes we... we include them and you know sometimes we get we all jump on the bus and we make the best of it yeah. you know sometimes we fly places we travel as you know uh before the pandemic i took my son with me he was only 12 at the time wow. i took him on tour with me to europe oh my god just oh, me and him that's great mom was in texas uh working on a film and uh and so it was just me and my son you know and so uh if it means the world to you then you do what it takes sure to stay connected you do what it takes to lose your selfishness. That's the hard part of this yeah. business because it, it's anti-goal anti oriented to what it takes to be part of this. Oh, yeah. There's a certain self-centeredness that you have. There's a certain narcissistic self-centeredness that is kind of essential. If you're going to be a person on stage and you're going to do it in the way that I, f I feel like I want to do it, which is... To ultimately make an impact so that you leave people with something. Yeah, of course. You know, did yeah. you feel me? Yeah. Yeah, I want to make sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what I come for. Yeah, exactly. You that's want it. to be touched. It's, it's not the money. It's not the, it's, if you're into this business for the money, you're into it for the wrong thing. Oh, for sure. Well, certainly. <laughs> that goes without saying. Because that, that doesn't mean anything, really. Yeah. And the chances of that that's happening are one BS. in a million. <laughs> that's, that's, that's distraction. Yeah. You yeah. know, to me. Yeah. Again, you know, I feel like I've lived this. My whole life has been being a fan of music, being around it, searching out the good times, trying to give of myself to it, trying to be responsible, trying to be open, trying yeah. to just give all the time. Yeah. And uh, that's how I derive my purpose from all of this, yeah. you know. But it does get harder and harder the older you get and the right. more you've done it. And I guess certainly on gray, gloomy, drizzly days like today, you do <laughs> contemplate what you're doing. You know what yeah. I mean? Shit. You know, I'm, I'm looking at 54 now and I've spent most of my life doing this. You know? Yeah. So that's great. Uh, how many guitars are you taking on tour with you? These on days? this tour? Yeah, on this tour. I slimmed it down, man, this tour. Um, Raul likes to move through the set list really rapidly and uh -huh. I find that uh, guitar changes only add to uh, they take away from my experience because they can be anxiety inducing oh yeah. yeah you know you know what I'm saying sure of course uh, if you're in a show where it's paced and that's the vibe of the show and all that but we're at like a dance band a rocking dance band that like moves swiftly yeah and so man my 2009 Nash Telecaster 56 T56 uh-huh it's the only guitar I play right now it's, oh wow well I do play one other one it's a it's a, an acoustic a Jimenez uh, Requinto okay for some of the Spanish music that we're doing on this tour sure um but I find that I cover all of that music with just that one guitar wow 
It's just that one guitar. Yeah, that's great. That's it. And, <laughs> but you know, a Telecaster is like that, though. That's why it's my favorite guitar. It's the most basic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it requires you putting yourself into it. Yeah. To get something that's going to be of significance and originality out of it. Sure. And over the years, I've learned about the sweet spots of the neck, mm-hmm. about where to pick it yeah. to get certain what's when to use your finger on, on because it sounds good right there yeah where, how much to roll back the tone knob on a certain song or how much to turn up the volume uh-huh. you, you know what I'm saying yeah the Telecaster it, it, you gotta think about it oh yeah uh, and then when you're in a show all that thought turns into feel mm-hmm yeah. And so for me, all that's going on in the course of the lyrics, listening to Raul, try not to rush the beat. How do I lock into this better? Yeah. Oh, look, there's so-and-so. Hey, wow, look at that fucking <laughs> shit. This is all happening yeah. in the moment. Oh, of course. You know, but the Telecaster and me, especially my 2009 Nash Tele, um, there's a connection there. Uh-huh. There's something there. That's and the white one with the black guard? Yes. Yeah. And I felt that the moment I took it off the stand, I was like, what is this? You know, uh-huh. I got that guitar when I was in the midst of the Dwight Yoakam gig. Okay. And it's been that guitar since I've right. played that guitar. Well, you could, when we go out there, yes, you could see it, okay. but it's, it's been played. <laughs> it's been played, man. It's taken a beating and it's been played, but it has seen me all over the world. Uh-huh. How many guitars do you have total? Do you know? I probably have, well, my wife would say too many, but uh, (laughs) I probably have at home about maybe a good 40 or so. And then out here on the road, I mean, I used to carry about 12 or so. Oh, wow. Um, That's, I say, well, we used to do changes, but I have a backup Nash the same year, you know, and it's close, but it's not that one. It's not that one, and then I have a, uh, a 60s, like, road-worn Strat out here. Uh-huh. Um, some of those really good. Oh, yeah, the road you ones. Know? Yeah. Just the way they were. Yeah. And I, I happened to find one, yeah. you know? And so I got one of those out here. And there's a certain aesthetic that, that I do kind of favor, right? There's that, you know, Olympic white. I seem to favor guitars that just have that basic, you know? Uh-huh. White and black scheme. Sure. Uh, there's something about that. Well, you know, s- stage outfits too, you know, because as an entertainer as well, because I'm not just a guitar player, I'm not just a, I'm a background singer and a guitar player, uh-huh. but I feel like a big part of what I do is I'm an entertainer as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the stuff that has turned me on to me kind of becoming what I become and what I do now is direct result of, you know, guys like this. Sure. You know, I mean, Jeff Beck. I yeah. mean, is there any cooler guy? I mean, he's, he has always been cool. He will forever be cool. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Same with Willie. Oh, yeah. Come on. Well, for me, it's just like what it is that I do is is a, is just a, a, it's like a collage of all of those things that have turned me on and all of the places that I've been, whether it's been, you know, in country music and I'll put the Western jacket on or yeah. whether it's some rock and roll boots or something. I think, uh-huh. You know, it's it's all parts of where I've been. Yeah. 
And, and in that sense, it has to be real for me, too, you know. And I will say that having a teenage son who's really into art uh, and into comic books uh-huh. has helped me in my middle age <laughs> to be to be more open, to sure. be to allow myself more creativity, allow yourself to be strange and weird and stand out, allow your grow your hair, shit, you know, right. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you know something happens to us when we get older. We lose some of that edge sometimes oh, because yeah. of life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Sure. We lose that edge. But I feel like we can have it all. But we have to be mindful. Uh, I saw Springsteen say one time, he says, you can have that salvation. He says, but you have to work at it. It doesn't come easy. Yeah. You have to work at it. And so uh, I've never mind working for things. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and after all these years, I'm still working on stuff, you know? Yeah. After we're done here, I'm going to go out there and try to figure out how to get by with one out, you know? <laughs> Shit. What do you have on your pedal board? Mm. Um, let's see here. I have one of those Wampler Black 65, and I find that that sounds so close to this amp I have at home. Uh-huh. There's something about it. I can tweak it depending on whatever, which way I need. But for me, it gives me that beef that... I I need to have there, but I don't necessarily always use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Sure. Because I I have a tendency to turn the amps up uh, and get them to where if I if I turn it all the way up, it's gonna go. Oh, it's yeah. gonna do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Naturally. Yeah. It, the it's in it's in the amp, but um, but I like to live right on that edge before that. Sure. Yeah, I know. What you know saying. what I mean? Yeah. You know, there's a tone that's right before it's gonna go fizzle. It's, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, uh, and so um, I have you know, Wampler 65 pedal. I have a, an MXR like carbon copy. I love sure. the I love the way that delay sounds. It's so basic of a pedal. Um, I employ a couple of different kinds of reverbs. I got a Flint. Tremolo slash reverb pedal that's yep. on there that I love that the tremolo on that flint thing is just it's like to me it sounds like a big old studio kind of contraption you know um, and depending on what the song is you know uh, I think I have three different reverb pedals on my really pedal board yeah <laughs> there's just the carbon copy uh-huh. there's the three reverbs there's a tuner. Oh, and then I have a, a, a Phase 90. Okay, of course. Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, in the course of these songs, in course of all that stuff I told you about what happens on stage, there's also me, th- I'm also switching pedals. Yeah. I'm old school, man. Yeah. I'm also doing that. If I want, if I know I'm going to, in the middle of a lead, and I know I'm going to lead to something... Like on record, like if we'll have a trail of delay or something at the yeah. end of the note, yeah. you know, I'll try to figure out how to get over there entertaining wise, yeah. incognito and stamp yeah, on that know. pedal and hit that trail, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and then hit it off. And then like, I mean, I'm doing all of that in the course of all of that show. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm taking the neck and I, you know, my poor neck, but I, I bend the shit out of that <laughs> neck. And, you know, there's no, you know, no, no again, you know, knowing, knowing how to get as much as you can out of that basic instrument I find I don't know I find that it's a I find that it's a challenge but I also find that it's a like a 
it's like a dance that I love to dance with it. You know, there's something about it. I just, yeah. I do put myself into it, you know, into that instrument. Um, you know, a lot of our music has those surf tones. Oh, it has, for sure. Absolutely. You know, and so that's why the reverbs and the, the you know, the delay and the, uh, you know, because a lot of times uh, on our records, there'll be a couple of different guitar parts, but live, I have to cover both of them. Oh, yeah. So sometimes I have to figure out what. So I'm trying to cop sometimes Raul's tone uh-huh. on a certain sect of the song. And then when it comes to where my part is, I stand out, I'll hit the, the bridge pickup and yeah. then I'll turn it up and I'll do my, you know, because my, my stuff is real kind of, you know, sizzly and kind of, you know, yeah. that's intentional. When you play with a nine-piece band, there's a lot of a lot of sonic real estate going on. Oh yeah, for sure. When you listen to these records. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay? And so, for me as a guitar player, uh, you would have to think: well, the Mavericks music is centered and based around Raúl's voice. Yeah. Okay. So you can't get in the way there, but you also can't become too boring. Mm-hmm. Where you step out entirely. Oh no. You, you know, you step back entirely. But if it's a rhythm thing, you find your stonic space so that it sticks out and that it's still there, you know? And when you listen to the Mavericks, there's a lot of percussive stuff that I do, rhythm stuff that's in there, you know, like old school stuff that they used to do in yeah. country music, you know, you know, hitting on, on the two and the four, the accents, you know, with some high E and a, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that's all you need. And it still stands out there, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not one of those guitar players that's. Uh, I, I like to play the for the song. Yeah. I, I like. I love the parts of the songs. You know, it's not just you know look at shoelaces and go to no, town. No. Uh, that's that's <laughs> never been how I've played. I've always. The other thing that I've been fortunate to is that I've always played with really great singers. Uh-huh. Somehow, I mean. From Jim Lauderdale to, you know, to Raul, to That's Dwight. Right. Yeah. Winona. Yeah. Leanne Womack. All the best. I mean, Connie Smith. Yeah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. So my guitar playing uh, is not necessarily wrapped around guitar riffs and guitar playing as much as it is, as it is wrapped around song structure. Sure. And accenting uh, what the singer's doing. You know, sometimes you're answering... To yeah. what that is, sometimes oh, yeah. you're there with it. Someday, but it's a, it's a. For me, it's that's how I see it. It's a, it's a dance with the words. Mm-hmm. My my part is to try to be a good dance partner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shit. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> when you're not, so when you're not working with the Mavericks, and you have downtime, do you have downtime? What What do you do? What do you do for fun? What do you do to well, uh, God, I'm uh, that honeydew list is so long, <laughs> man. I, I tell you, I, I I'm very much a, uh, also a traditionalist as well. I mean, there's a huge progressive side to me, no doubt, and uh, the music and this lifestyle certainly that. But um, when I'm home, uh, you know, I try to maintain a kind of a normal structure, like with especially for my son. You know, I mean, it's you know. Um, you know, it's I, I I get up six in the morning. Wow! And I make breakfast for my son, and I help get him together. I drive him to school. Uh huh. I go home, 
have a puff <laughs> and figure out what I'm going to do. No, I tend to, I tend to the houses and, uh, you know, me and my, uh, my wife, we've, we've got very busy lives, you know, sure. when I'm not working, that's her, that's her chance to go to work. Sure. And so the fortunate thing about our existence is that, you know, when we're touring, we can usually, we, I usually know what I'm going to be doing like six to nine months out in advance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so when she looks at her schedule, she can see that and she can plan where the holes are, where I'm going to be home, where she, you know. Yeah. And so that's how we've been able to raise our family together right is, is that kind of way. You know, we're both kind of in the business and she's since she's the boss of her thing, we kind of can figure out where that is. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but when I'm home, man, I'm, I'm really into just being a great dad. I'm trying to be... Uh, connected to my son uh you know he just turned well he's about to turn 15 in march and i feel like this is our very crucial times for him and so i've been gone most of his life because of this life we live but uh but we're very connected and that's the most important thing to me is stay connected to him and him know that i'm there for him and you know we talk every day and and that's also a great thing about you know the the uh the technology these days is for guys like us, you know, because I've been touring so long now that I remember we used to have to call home from a pay phone hey, at a truck stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? God, that's how long I've been doing this. So, um, but it's that's what's been a big difference. Um, I love cooking, man. I cook uh-huh. a lot when I'm at home, and uh, not to toot my own horn, but beat beat, brother. You know, <laughs> I found like during the pandemic that that's a big part of where my creativity went was into just I took over all of it. I I, I mean, I got into it, man. I went and bought knives and everything. I learned about herbs and I, I got into it. Um, and I feel like you know just trying to work on our health. And the biggest thing of all, man, is trying to figure out how to fortify. The, that bubble you need to do for yourself sure to just live in this crazy world man this this world right now is not something that my soul is digging Uh and it's hard not to be affected by that oh yeah when you're an empathetic person um and so the bubble that you create is really important and so when I go home as much as I can, I disengage from this life completely. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. it's not like I'm going home and looking for gigs. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I don't. A lot of the time, I don't even pick up the guitar. Okay, I don't. Yeah, that's not to say that I don't listen to music. I listen to music nonstop. Yeah, I, I walk around with a radio in my head all day. <laughs> like I can't turn it off. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what it is. But I've learned how to deal with it over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but it's always in my head. Yeah, always. Um. But that's it, man. And and I have a few friends that I really enjoy uh, spending time with. But to tell you the truth, when I get home, we travel so much. When I'm home, I am home, man. Yeah. I'm home and I am accessible and I'm open to the family and whatever I need to do. Sure. Uh, you know, and I also try to honor, you know, my wife and, and all the sacrifices that she makes. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the goal is to be a successful family. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that whole deal thing that I said earlier about, you know, I got to hold my end of the deal up, too, you yeah. know. And so um, I feel like I work hard all the time, you know, <laughs> but the work that I do is the most rewarding that it makes me grateful. Yeah. You know, it ain't work if you don't view it as such. And exactly. I don't view it as such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, are your parents still kicking? 
my father passed away three years ago, Sorry and that, that was tough, you know, for me. Um, but my mom's still around. She's just doing it. I, my, I had very young parents. Okay. My mother just turned 70. Oh, wow. And I'm 50. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So she's doing well. She, uh, she just came to, she comes, I bring her to Nashville for visits every, you know, every like three or four months. She'll sure. come for a week or two. Uh-huh. Um, tomorrow night we'll be playing in the San Diego area. Okay. She's coming out to that. Okay. In fact, she co- before you came, uh, she called me on the phone and she said, "Hey, I just was calling you to let you know that I already packed my suitcase. I'm ready to go." I'm like, "Mom, <laughs> it's tomorrow." It's like you know. So, but she's so excited to come out. You know, me and my mom, we have a always have had a, a, a special thing. Sure. For her, you know, and of she course. was a young young mom and made a lot of sacrifices and and worked hard in her life, and she's yeah. always been there for me. You know, and so. Uh, so yeah, so she's doing well, and uh-huh. um, yeah, my dad was the biggest influence in my life. Certainly, you uh-huh. know, um, it's the reason that I'm a musician. It's the reason, you know. I don't know if you know that there's a true story uh, when it comes to me and my dad. You know, my dad was the first one to turn me on to the Mavericks music back oh, in really? the '90s. Wow. He said, he said, um, he would tell me, "Hey, Eddie," he says, "Uh." Have you seen this guy, Raul? He's a singer. There's this band called the Mavericks. I said, no. He says, man, when it comes out, I'll try to tape it on a you know, VHS. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so they came on the Marty Party one time. Oh, yeah. Remember that? In 94 yeah. or something. Yeah, somewhere exactly. around there. On uh, and I, CNN. Yeah, on TNN. Yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing them and I thought, wow, those guys were cool. So that's how I kind of learned about who they were. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so after that, I was a fan. So I bought the records. And I, now, mind you, I wasn't on my journey yet. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. This is right before. Yeah. So this one year, it's, it's 96, 1996, and I've already started playing with Jimmy. So now I'm just kind of starting, uh-huh. right? And my dad was such a fan of the band. I found that they were going to be at the Greek Theater. And so I bought tickets for my dad. It was a Father's Day present, you know? Uh, yeah. So I take him to go to the Greek Theater to go see Junior Brown wow. and the Mavericks. Wow. Okay? Now, I had not met anybody yet. Uh-huh. Okay? So, my buddy, I remember earlier I said Tom Lewis was sure. the guy that introduced me to everybody. Yep. Tom Lewis was playing drums for Junior Brown. Oh, wow. Okay? Wow. So, there's Raul and the guys and Tom Lewis, who I have not... It's your future right in front of you. <laughs> so, I'm sitting down in the seats. This is 96. And we're sitting down and three or four songs into the into the performance, the Mavericks, I lean over to my dad and I said, I could play in that band. And my dad looks at me and goes, think so? <laughs> I said, yeah, but I think I could do it better. And uh, my dad looked at me and he's like, well, okay. <laughs> that was 1996. We just played the Greek theater. It's the first time that the Mavericks have been back to the Greek theater since then. Wow. Right before the stage, we go on stage. I told Raul, hey, sir. I said, Raul, I said, yeah, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the last time I was here in this building with you guys, I was in the seats. Yeah. Wow. That's heavy. With my father. Yeah. <clears throat> telling him that I could play in this band. <laughs> it's heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. And here I am. <laughs> oh, still doing it after all these years. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, people talk about, I don't know if you've heard the term manifestation. 
But I feel like I've lived that quite a few times in this business, in this journey. I feel like I've lived it with Dwight. Mm-hmm. My experience with Dwight was a strange one, too. Um, I, I was at home, and Dwight was... Uh, he, the video came on for Intentional Heartache. Oh, yeah. It was the first cut, first single off of the Blame the Vein video, uh, Blame the Vein record in 2005. Sure. And me and my wife were at home, and at this time, I was playing in between different bands, you know, and I was wanting to make a move. I needed something. To, I wanted a challenge. I wanted something, you know. Yeah. And uh, so we're at home, and we have CMT on, and, you know, her videos were always on CMT. So yeah. we're watching CMT, and, and I see Dwight come on. And it's the first time that I'd noticed that Dwight, that Pete Anderson was not playing with yeah, Dwight anymore. Gattis. It was Keith Gaddis. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't know Keith Gaddis yet. Uh-huh. So I look at this video and I stop and I'm, I tell I tell my wife, I said, "That's the gig I need right there." Yeah. I said, "That guy's got my kick." <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Keith. <laughs> but that's what I said, and I said, "Oh, that's the gig I need." You know, because I, I just I was feeling like I needed something. I needed an inspiration. I was, you know, I was at yeah. that. As you know, when you do this, like we do for as much as you do you know you run you sometimes get into that rut and you don't sometimes have enough awareness to to know that you're there and so you try to do what you can to kind of just shake it up well i was at that moment for myself too you know uh and i saw that on tv and that was i i said it out loud i said that guy's got my gig (laughs) right now flash forward two weeks later i'm on a tour bus with gary allen i'm doing some pickup dates with gary we're going up to Niagara Falls area and I get a call on my cell phone out of the blue and it's Dwight no way hey buddy hey this is Dwight man <laughs> hey Eddie everybody says you're the guy I need to hire and uh right now you know my guy he got a record deal so he's got to leave do his thing wow. and I'm looking for somebody and everybody tells me you're the guy wow and I said well damn well that's awfully cool he says what are you doing? And I told him, well, man, I'm on my way to, I'm on a gig right now on a tour bus headed to, I got a gig tomorrow. And then I got a couple of days off. And, you know, he says, man, he says, I know you got a gig right now. He says, but would you be interested? Can I at least, he says, do you have a day off coming up? You know? And so I had a day off coming up. So, um, man, I felt like it was the biggest honor. Yeah. Uh, and so when everybody went out the next day on the day off to uh, to Niagara Falls to go see the falls and all that, yeah. which I'd never seen, by the way. <laughs> I saw them later. But uh, I stayed in the hotel room all day long and, and learned sure. every Dwight Yoakam song that I could yeah. note for note. Now, <laughs> I'm not talking just this record or that record. I'm talking all of them. Okay? But I also learned lyrics, too. Okay. Okay, I was going there with the intention of getting that gig and not sure. coming back. Yeah. Okay, so he so he flies me there. It's a Wednesday. I go to sound check. Right, he comes out looking like himself, and it's like the you know the first one. Well, you know, all right, buddy. Well, thanks for being here. You know, and then we go. So, all right, well, let's do something. Let's play. You know, we talk a little bit, and he said, That's let's true. play. So we get up, we still, we go through Guitars Cadillac, so, you know, and I do the intro, and it's like right on, you know, yeah. it's like, because that's one of the ones that everybody kind of knows, you know? Yeah. And um, we're doing it. I do the first guitar solo of Guitars Cadillacs, and right after we come out of it, he stops the band. And I'm thinking, 
I just quit my gig. Oh, yeah. And it sounds to me like maybe I didn't get this gig. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, he says, uh, he tells her, right, right, well, I, I've heard I've heard what I need to hear. Um, he says, all right, well, thanks, everybody. You know, and, then he, and then he leaves. He goes to the tour bus. And then uh, I'm there, like, not knowing what to think. Sure. I just flew, you know, yeah. all across the country to go to... I was in Denver, by the way. He flew me to Denver, from uh-huh. Niagara to Denver. Yeah. And... And uh, so there I am, uh, not knowing what to do. And uh, so I see his tour manager guy, and I say, hey, did I get the gig? Or what? Well, he didn't say. He says, uh, he goes, he wants to talk to you up on the bus. So why don't you go up there on the bus? So I, so I go up on the bus, and Dwight's like, I could see him all the way in the back of the bus, rifling, you know, shuffling through a closet of his, bringing out coats. And he comes back to me, and, he, and he's looking at me. He's looking at his coat. He's like, you, what are you, about a 40 regular? Right? Oh, and so. He had already had, like, a small little wardrobe already waiting for him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was a Wednesday night. Keith does his gig. Keith was happy that I was taking over because now he could leave. Yeah, he yeah. wanted to leave. Yeah. So, uh, so then Thursday night, we throw, in Denver, we throw, after their gig, Thursday night, we, they have a day off. And so we throw Keith a little going away party, you know. We had a great time, the whole thing. Uh, and But during that day... Dwight uh, calls me. He's at Neiman Marcus. And he wow. calls me. He goes, hey, man, can you take a taxi over here? Uh, I want to s- kind of get you a few things. I'm like, okay, you shit. You know? So I get to Neiman Marcus, and it's just like a scene in a movie. We're in like a private room. Wow. And there's like five attendants. Oh, my And they God. got all this shit out here. Paul Smith and all like, And it's like thousands of dollars of stuff, you know? And it's just big timing. It's just bawling. Oh, you know what God. I mean? <laughs> and so we, we leave there, and then we have the, the dinner for Keith. And then... Uh, and then the next day was Friday, and so my first gigs with him were, were the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow. And that's how my journey started with Dwight. And that all happened within a matter of like two and a half, three weeks. Wow. From from the first time I saw the video said out loud, that guy's got my gig. Yeah. So, manifestation. How long was it before Dwight started throwing like crazy songs at you, like Bee Gees songs and... And, uh, oh no time at all no, <laughs> yeah. he's the kind of artist too that you, you need to have a vast vocabulary sure uh, but you also you also have to kind of think in his kind of way of thinking too he's he's got a lot of for every Merle Haggard Buck Owens thing that he has in him he also has a lot of the kinks sure and you know uh, you know the Beatles and that that Mercy Beat stuff yeah he loves that stuff <laughs> so he you know he he's also into that too Tommy James and the Chandelles sure. and you know yeah so you know you gotta know all of that and when I at least you know I kind of funny because all those years of being a fan of his music and listening to it and listening to Pete is one of the guys that changed my life. His oh, guitar, yeah, of course. His guitar playing <laughs> kind of changed the trajectory of from where I thought I was going to be musically to where I ended up going. Yeah, yeah. There was just an endless cool factor to what they did together in those, you know, those few years. Absolutely. Those, you know, especially those, like, first five, six years that they had, man. Um, so when I stepped to the gig, um, I was already a fan and I already knew a lot of the music, but... I had such a huge respect for it, and I realized the significance of that gig was, uh, you know, to honor 
the stuff that's been put there because sure. at the end of the day it's not really just about me or what my what I want out of it it's really about the fans and their experience so for me to honor that part of it is what it's about but Dwight also you know also encouraged me to you know stretch it step out a little yeah. make it edgier make it you know so he was also wanting to be inspired so talk about songs throwing out songs yeah man I've got <clears throat> Hopefully he doesn't watch this or I mean or hear this uh, interview. But I've got board tapes of shadow stuff that we've done that people don't even you know. Yeah. But uh, but it's only for me because they were such great moments. Oh yeah. Like I'm talking like recorded moments on my phone where we're listening to playback in the booth or yeah. you know what I mean. I'm talking stuff like that. Yeah. Um, BG songs and like you know. <laughs> we over the, the the course of those seven years uh, there was a lot of travel and it was uh, you know. It was groovy, man. It was a, it was a, it was a fun ride. But you know, at the end of it, I was at that point again where I was like, you know, <clears throat> I've kind of done what I think I, I probably could do in this thing. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like like the Mavericks had unfinished finished business. I always felt like musically, like my first go around with the Mavericks from, was from '03 to '05, uh-huh. and I always felt like that that. I didn't even feel like I got even started. Yeah. It was like over before I knew it, you know? Yeah. And so we started talking and the timing was right. And everybody was feeling like it was ready to do it again. Raul felt like he was, you know, wanting to, to maybe resurrect a, a different version of the Mavericks again. And so, uh, and so that's what kind of, that's how the, my Dwight period ended because uh, for a time I was doing both of them and then it got yeah. too much and yeah. then I, you know, I had to let one go. But, one more thing about I said earlier coming full circle about that is that I think the thing about the Mavericks I was missing most was that thing that's 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 linked to my memories of my childhood was the camaraderie between the people that are involved in making this good beautiful time sure there's something about that for me that I was missing uh, and the Mavericks is the closest thing to my experience has ever been to that sort of thing that's been in my life so you know so um and it's been that way since then you know it's no situation is perfect and you know it's hard to get four people to agree (laughs) to one thing at any given moment when it comes to business but at the end of the day we all respect and appreciate and love what it is we do when we're together doing it sure you know um and however form and fashion that has to work that's up to each individual to figure out how to manage, you know. And yeah. and for me, uh, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's the music. But, you know, you also have to be smart, too, because, you know, your journey, you want it to count for something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, balance in all things is where it's really always at. Yeah. And uh, for me, I try to I try to have that uh, even when I'm home. You know, that's why when I'm home, I'm, I'm home. I'm yeah. not guitar playing dad at home. You know, I'm just dad. Yeah. And I'm husband and I'm, you know. I'm, a, I'm the taxi driver. I'm good. Hey, go do this. <laughs> go pick me up this. Go pick me up that. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, we have, you have you have allowed me to ramble on. That was good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, thank you very much, sir. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening to How Guitar Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>